Welcome to On the Brain. Today, we are going to be solving a little bit of a mystery. How does boxing, or fighting in the UFC, relate to the tiny hair cells of your inner ear? We talked to Chris Bandman, a PhD student at UCalgary, who is on a mission to find this link and protect fighters' brains. Plus, stay tuned to hear how Chris merged industry technology into his research. My background is like kickboxing or Muay Thai. If people don't know what Muay Thai is, it's, it's basically kickboxing, but you're allowed to knee and elbow. So kickboxing, most fighting sports, obviously there's a lot of head trauma. Um, and what you see when you see somebody get punched is you see them start to lose balance, right? Everybody's watched like a... I don't know, a Canelo fight or some sort of boxing fight. Um, and you watch the guy get hit and then he falls over. And so what effects do we see in these people who are being hit very frequently as they age? How are, How is it affecting their life? Um, I mean, I'm sure everybody's heard about the stuff going on with football players, like the CTE stuff, the rage, um, drops in testosterone, drops in IQ, drops in um, emotional regulation, like all those things. Um, and then a lot of that ends up leading to substance abuse, homelessness, domestic abuse, all of those things. Um, so I think that's why it's really important to find a concrete way to, to try and measure this damage. Um, this might not be the best technology, but we definitely have to look for some sort of technology to test it because currently the SCAT, I mean, it's, do you guys know what SCAT is? No. Um, it's basically what we use to test for concussions or what physicians will use to test for concussions. There's a, a portion of the SCAT which is kind of a little bit similar to what we're doing. Um, it's called the BEST test. Um, and basically what somebody does is they like stand on foam or they stand on the floor, they stand on one foot, eyes closed. Um, there's a bunch of different ways that they have to stand and the physician will score their balance based on you know how many times they touch the floor or how stable they looked. Um, and obviously every physician is gonna have a slightly different opinion on that. And while it's, you know, it is a uh, clinically valid test, it's basically a physician's opinion on whether you have a concussion or not. Um, we have some CT scans we'll do. We have, you know, sometimes people can get MRIs, but you really can't get a good idea of how much damage is going on or how much accumulated impact has, has actually gone on in this person. Um, so there definitely needs to be like more money and more time put into, um, trying to find answers for these people and be able to educate them as they're continuing in the sport because a lot of these people you know they put their whole lives into it um i have some friends that have you know fought for like i'm i'm turning 30 this year um i have some friends that you know if they're 35 almost 40 and like they put everything into a sport right they've they've neglected going getting an education they haven't really learned any trade skills um so this is like this is their livelihood and obviously it, it doesn't pay very well um, to be a fighter unless you're in the UFC or you're a pro boxer, right? Uh, most of these people, when they fight, they're getting paid like maybe $1,000 when they go pro. Um, and then the amateurs are not getting paid at all. Um, so for them, it's, it's, it's really important to be able to weigh the, risk, or weigh the risks versus the rewards for that. And I think um, this is like a, a step in the right direction for um, how to inform these people properly so that they can start to make decisions about their life, right? So could you tell me how you got interested in this in the first place? Yeah, so I, uh, I graduated um, with a bachelor's in kin, um, so I did that at UFC as well. Um, after I finished, I went looking for a job and I couldn't 
really find much that paid decent and was interesting. Um, so I decided I was going to go back to school and I ended up taking a class with, uh, Dr. Ryan Peters, my supervisor. And he, um, it was an interesting class. There was a lot of like new experimental stuff that he was talking about. And then, um, he started talking about electrical vestibular stimulation, right? So I was kind of interested, like, well, what's actually going on into the, in the vestibular system when you get hit? So what is the <clears throat> vestibular system? Right. Uh, vestibular system is basically, some people call it your sixth sense. Um, it's your sense of gravity or your sense of rotation in space. So we have, uh, technically each side of the body has five vestibular organs. You have semi three semicircular canals that measure angular rotation or angular, um, angular acceleration is what they measure directly. Um, and then we have two, um, otolith organs, the utricle and the saccule that measure tilt. Um, they also measure linear accel- acceleration. So if you've ever driven in, let's say like a Nissan GTR or a Ferrari, something with a lot, a lot of power, um, when you get hit with a lot of G force, you'll start to feel like you're tilting up. So that's what the vestibular system does is it it measures tilt, it measures rotation, um, and just gives us information to help integrate with other senses in order to keep our balance. You're interested in how that connects to fighters. So when you get hit in the head, what happens to these organs? Not sure. Um, (laughs) So if you think about a vibration, right, sound waves or vibrations, right? So the hair cells in the cochlea, they vibrate and that's how we pick up sound, right? The hair cells, uh, there are, sorry, there's similar hair cells inside of the vestibular organs that aren't necessarily built to measure vibration, but they vibrate in a similar way than the cochlear hair cells would. Um, So when we get hit in the head, you can think of it as a high frequency vibration. There's a lot of like motion going on in the, in the brain. Um, so those are going to be read into the hair cells. What we think could be possibly happening is that with these vibrations, we're starting to break down those hair cells and they're starting to shear off. Um, anybody that knows anything about, about neuroscience, um, if you stop stimulating a nerve, what happens? It starts to die, right? If we don't need it, we start to lose it. It starts to die off, right? So it could be that these hair cells are breaking down. Um, and then as they break down those um, the vestibular nerves or the vestibular neurons that are responsible for those particular hair cells would start to die off. So then when we stimulate them with this electrical stimulation, there's not anything going into the central nervous system. Um, so we're missing all that information from those neurons, or it could be, um, there's been some research done looking at, um, rotations of the head and the amount of force or, um, angular acceleration, that occurs when people get hit versus if they fall off of their bike or they get hit in hockey. And it looks like taking a hook to the chin, um, obviously is a very high rotational force. Um, so when that force is applied, there's a rotational effect, not only on the head, but also on the brain and the brainstem. Um, so there's a couple studies that, that have looked at the effects of those high angular, um, accelerations being applied to the brainstem. And consequently, there is um, the vestibular nuclei are right in the brainstem. So it could be also that the shearing um, occurring from those blows is also breaking down the vestibular nuclei. And that's why we're seeing these reflexes change. Um, But we don't really know without the proper histological studies. And those are going to be very difficult to get. Um, The best thing that we have so far um, would be high frequency vibrations coming from blast trauma. Um, from those in the military that are exposed to blasts. Mm -hmm. There's a little bit of research there, and it looks like the hair cells do start to die. Um, 
but we also don't know, like there might also be something going on in the vestibular nuclei. We don't really know yet. So we have two possible mechanisms for when you get hit repeatedly. Either the hair cells in our inner ear shear off, or when you get hit, the force of that blow damages the neurons in your brain responsible for transmitting that information on balance. However, it turns out that we don't actually need to know the mechanism to measure how much damage is occurring to the vestibular system. So is that your end goal? To be able to have a device working that tells them the amount of damage that they've accumulated so that they can decide whether the fighting path is worth pursuing? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't want to go out and say, you know, like this technology is going to do it because obviously it's experimental. We saw some effects. We don't know exactly what we're measuring, but we do know that we're seeing changes when people get hit in the head or get hit in the head more and more and more. Right. Um, but I think that that is the end goal for sure is to to have something or at least contribute to the space um, to try and have some sort of technology that can inform these people so that they can make life decisions, uh, informed life decisions, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That seems very worthwhile doing. So could you describe the device to me? Yeah. Um, so what we have currently, um, with the company we're working with is it's basically just a, a current generator. So it, it sends a current out with a preloaded, um, waveform. Usually it's between zero to three milliamps. Um, so very small amounts of current. Um, and then you're going to be placing electrodes on either mastoid process. Okay. So how would you use that on the people who come in to um, do studies with you? Um, so current or the first study that we did, we actually used electromyography. So if you um, cause somebody to sway forward and backwards, right, um, the muscles that are going to be turning on and off to help balance as you move forward and backwards is going to be the, the gastrocnemius and the soleus, so the calf muscles. Mm -hmm. um, so as you lean forward, you know, they're going to start to light up. They're going to turn on more um, to keep you from falling forward. And then as you lean back, they're going to turn off, right? Um, so the first study looked at EMG. So that's one way we can measure the, refle uh, measure, measure the reflex responses to the stimulation. The other thing we can do um, is measure sway, either via a force plate, um, which you can do with cheaper equipment. If you, some people have used like a, um, do you remember the Nintendo Wii? Yes. They had that little <laughs> force plate. Um, so there have been some studies that have looked at using that because it's something that's cost effective. People can use it at home. Um, I mean, the force plate that we use in the lab costs about $14,000, right? So it's not really accessible. It's not something you can bring ringside all the time, right? It takes a while to set up. You need a big uh, data acquisition unit. You need a nice computer to be able to process these signals. Um, so we wanted like more of a portable kind of version, right? So you can do it with the, the Wii Force plate. You could do it with EMG. You could just have little Bluetooth sensors that hook up to a phone uh, measuring the electrical activity in the calves. Or um, what we've started moving towards is just a triaxial accelerometer attached to the head. So it measures accelerations of the head in whatever plane it is that you're um, causing the person to sway. And then we do a time-based correlation between the head accelerometer and the signal, and that gives us information about what their reflexes are doing. To recap, Chris is applying very small amounts of electricity behind the ear to stimulate the vestibular system, causing someone to sway. He can then measure this sway in the calf muscles or using a wee force plate. Okay. And so 
how does that correlate with fighters and how much damage they've accumulated? So what we would like to do is have um, this testing either ringside. Um, we haven't looked as much into the acute trauma. We've looked at more chronic up to this period. Um, so fighters over time. So it'd be more of a, the application would be more in their doctor's office when they do a check-in every six months or whatever. It's just like, okay, let's do this test. Um, let's see what's going on with your vestibular reflexes. Um, you know, we get them to stand there for three minutes with their eyes closed and they sway around and then we get a reading out on the phone and it says like, okay, this is like, you know, how long your vestibular reflexes are taking to actually peak. And then um, these are like the frequencies that you're responding to more than others. And then we can use that to kind of inform them of changes as we go on. So as a fighter gets into it more and more, you'd expect their reflexes to start to slow and you'd expect them to start functioning more in the lower frequency range and starting to turn off and having lower correlations or coherence between the signal and the, um, the stimulus. Um, you'd expect to see them start to shift into a lower frequency kind of band. Um, and then over time you can say, okay, you know, like we're, we were kind of progressing slowly and like now we're seeing drastic changes. Like has something changed in your training? Have you been losing fights? Um, then we can start to look at, okay, um, what's happening, you know, at home, are there starting to be emotional regulation issues that you're having? Like what's going on with your partner? What's going on with your kids? Um, stuff like that. So it's just kind of a, a tool that we can use to help inform, um, inform those fighters as, as they, they go through their career, I guess. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. So what are the next steps in order to get this device up and running and into offices so those kinds of tests can happen? Um, so we would need to get um, FDA approval and then get approval from Health Canada um, to have this as, as a designated medical device. Um, we are going that route currently, but we're doing it with the treatment, um, which I believe you talked about uh, with Jordan earlier, um, so I won't go into that. But um, yeah, we need to get that, that approval. We need to do some clinical tests. Right now, what we've done is just mainly exploratory, um, but I believe we're just gonna go ahead with getting the FDA approval through on more of the treatment side and then work our way into the diagnostics once it's already, um, once it's already approved for that. Since the technology is very similar between we're using, they're sending a signal, we're sending a signal, we're doing the exact same thing. The difference is they're using it as a treatment, we're using it um, to measure reflexes. Um, but there are similar devices that are closer to the more treatment side, kind of like a TENS machine, if you use like Dr. Ho's, um, those like massage electrode things. Um, they can use that to try and get that FDA approval a little bit quicker. Um, and then moving into the, di the diagnostic is a little bit easier because the device is going to be the same. It's just going to be a new application. Okay. I want to ask you a little bit about your involvement with working with a company as well. So how has your experience been with working with industry? Industry is definitely a lot more fast paced than um, academia would be. Obviously I'm getting both experiences because I'm, I'm working with an industry partner, but I'm still an academic technically as like a PhD candidate. Um, so it's, it's definitely faster. I find it's a little more focused on solutions than academia. Academia is more what if, what's, what's, I need to know all of the answers. And then industry is like, how can I make this work? And how can I make, you know, how can I make a customer happy? Right. Which is, is, an interesting dynamic um, and I think there's a need for both 
Um, the one thing I will say about working with industry is like usually the scholarships are a little bit more than working with um, academics, right? Um, like NSERC, you can get, you can get CHR. I think those are um, actually a little bit higher. Um, but working with MyTax um, or Alberta Innovates will pay a little bit better, but you're also, um, I think, expected to do a little bit more work um, than you would be with the academic side. You can explore a little bit more, ask a couple more questions, right? Whereas industry is really focused on like, this is, this is what I want to find out and I need answers for this instead of like, you know, following the little rabbit trails that lead you to a million different questions that you end up with in academia. So, okay. And you went through Alberta Innovates. Did you also go through MyTax? No, I'm, I'm through MyTax. Oh, you're through yeah. MyTax. Okay. So yeah. how did you uh, come about or how did you find MyTax and what was your experience with working through MyTax? Um, my tax, the application process was actually a lot easier than I thought. Um, it was really awesome. We got to chat one-on-one -on -one with the guy that we were applying through. Um, and he had a lot of, a lot of great feedback on, um, the grant writing process, all that. Um, something you definitely don't get with, with NSERC or CIHR is like you get your supervisor and that's like pretty much the only person that helps you there. Whereas like my tax, they want to give the money out, right? It's an industry partnership between the industry partner and my tax, and then they pay together for the scholarship. So the industry partner is paying half, my tax is paying half, and, you know, they have that money. They want to give it out. Um, they just need solid ideas. They need good ideas. And then they just want to help add innovation locally. Right. So, um, to, for the industry partner to get, you know, some discounted research or a little bit cheaper research, they also get to fund a student, right. And then possibly bring up somebody that's going to end up working for them later. Um, and then my tax gets to, you know, stimulate, um, the economy it gets to give information, uh, give money out to students to, to help them, um, get through school. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I totally forgot what your question was. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, your experience with my tax. So yeah. would you, would you encourage others to go through this process as well? Yes. I think my tax is definitely, um, I don't want to say it's, it's more guaranteed, but like NSERC, you know, sometimes you're going to get a grant reviewer that's, you know, they just don't like the idea. Right. Versus you get somebody else and they're like, Oh, that's really cool. Like I want to fund this. Right. Um, my tax is more like, as long as the industry partner sees value in it and they're willing to put money into it, my tax wants to develop a student, right? They want to develop a person to help um, bring them up and give them skills so that they can, you know, then go out into the economy and share these skills and, you know, increase innovation in the space, right? So I think um, my tax is really awesome for even if you're going the academic route to get into a little bit of industry, right? Whether you're you're planning to be a prof, right? There's lots of profs at UFC, especially with this um, this new like entrepreneurship push that is going on at UFC. Um, there's a lot of profs that are now either have their own companies or are you know uh, scientific officer on X you know tech companies board, um, and that's another source for income. But it's also like a really good space for growth. Right. I think diversifying um, your skill set is, is always going to be beneficial, um, obviously, as, as long as you're still getting sleep and, you know, not overworking yourself. But 100 <laughs> percent. Yeah. Yeah. So there's something for academics, something for people looking to get a taste of industry. It sounds like a great program. Yeah. A huge thank you to Chris for joining us to share his research and experiences. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.